Almighty God, we bow our heads and open our hearts in this hour. We're very thankful, Lord, that we can be here today. We're not here by accident. We're here by divine appointment, and we worship you. And we want to clear our minds and open our hearts to be able to hear what the Spirit says to the church today. We will open your word, and we want to learn from it. Father, we live in remarkable times, unusual times. There are many forces that press against us. We pray that because we've set aside this hour today, that we might walk out of here better equipped as people who know Jesus in a personal way to live lives of victory, to live lives of celebration, to truly be your people in the places you send us. So we look forward to your spirit speaking. We do open our hearts and minds. We worship you in this hour. And we pray that the storms which we face and the storms which are sure to come, that we might have the great faith that you would have for us today. So increase our faith, calm our fears, and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, let me do a little bit of uh, backtracking before I begin the message today. I have here a small puzzle piece. And for those of you that are guests or visitors, we began this year by talking about how to live a no-regrets life. That is, how can we put together life in such a way that whenever our life is over, we won't be regretful. And at the conclusion of that series, we passed out puzzle pieces, and on the back of them we wrote a particular word that we were going to work on, something God said to us, a strength we have or something we want to build up. We wrote on a word like forgiveness or humility or love or um, there may have been some other words that you, you wrote down there. And we said, carry this around to remind you that you're living a no-regrets life. And I see some of you are reaching in purses and pockets. You've got your puzzle piece. You know what happened to mine? Do you know what happened to mine? I don't either. I can't find it. And so, uh, fortunately, I came back and we had extra puzzle pieces together. Somewhere I lost it. It'll probably turn up in a pants pocket, you know, one of these years. But uh, I needed another one. And so, I've got my new one now. And when we pass the offering plate in just a moment, we've got some extra puzzle pieces in there. So if you're kind of off the back like I am and lost one, just feel free to reach in the offering plate and get another puzzle piece And that can remind you of several things. It reminds you you're connected to God and to God's body, the body of Christ, the church. We're connected. It also reminds you that uh, you're going to try and piece together a life that's a no-regrets life, and you may want to write a word on the back to remind you of what you're working on. I've got my word here. And so as the offering comes by in a little while, uh, we want to give you something if you've lost your puzzle piece like uh, I have. Also, um, I signed up on my card, Yes, Wednesday Lenten Dinner. And if you've got one of these cards, we do need to know how many are coming to the dinner. So if you want to sign up. And these are really wonderful, wonderful times. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We begin a series um, that's called Lent. And it's a series of preparation because at the end of Lent, what comes up? Easter. At the end of Lent, what comes up? Easter. If there's no Easter, let's just go to Starbucks or something, huh? I mean, that's what it's all about. This is a time of preparation. And these Bible studies are from, we eat dinner at 5.30, we wrap up about 6 or 6.10, then we have an in-depth Bible study on a Lenten theme. We're done by 6.50, so you can plan on that. The choir goes to choir and others do other things. So it's from 5.30 to uh, 7 o'clock. 
And if you can't be here for dinner, show up about 6 or 6.10 and you'll be a part of the study. Let me encourage you to come. Uh, these, it's, a, it's a great season. There are seven of these dinners on Wednesday night, and we would love to have you join us. And I also want to say thanks to uh, Dave and to uh, Lucian. I looked all week for a boat, and on Wednesday I just happened to men- mention to Lucian that I was looking for a boat, and he said, there's one in my backyard. Now, he forgot that it was chained up, and he didn't know where the key was, and he forgot it had been 30 years back there, so he had to get a shovel and a backhoe or something to dig it out. But anyhow, thanks for the work of the boat. Why would we have a boat in church? What do you think, Stan? In case there's a flood, that's right. We're going to—we're Baptists. We're going to talk about water. I mean, uh, why not? So it'll come clear a little later. I, I was going to get in it and turn it around, kind of. I'd like to ride that thing down there, but anyhow, maybe after church. Um, back in the day, my first car. I don't want you to get the wrong idea here because it was old when I bought it. So don't don't do the math. You'll make me feel bad, but. My first car was a 1956 Chevy, two-door post. That means nothing to some of you. It means a lot to others. And I love that car. Uh, my dad painted it for me. I blew up the motor and got another motor. And uh, I, I had a great time in that car until I wrecked it. And then I uh, got some other cars. And my favorite car of all time, and if I could find this car and afford to buy it, I would do that, and here's what I would drive. But it was a 52 Chevy that I had. That was even older. And I bought that thing, it was a 52 hardtop, it was all rusted out, and I got it primered, I never got around to painting it, the front bumper was gone, but I loved that car. And I, of course the engine went bad in it, so I bought a brand new Corvette engine, because I was working for a Chevy dealership at the time, and put that Corvette engine, and the joy of my life was to go drag racing and beat the new Mustangs with my old dilapidated Chevy. And sometimes it happened. Now you know a little more about Steve. Well, I can remember telling my best friend, J.D., who I still am in contact with, I said, J.D., you know, this is one of those teenage moments, I'm never going to drive anything but a Chevy. And we kind of almost were blood brothers on that. We'd always drive Chevys. I had a 57 Chevy, had all kinds of Chevys. Now, as I matured, like a year later, um, I finally said, J.D., maybe I'll drive some other General Motors product, but I'm never going to drive anything but GM. Now, part of this, you see, the family I grew up in was a Ford family. So did he find, my dad loves Fords. He still drives one. But to define myself, I guess I had to drive Chevys. You understand, right? Anyhow, I can remember as a teenager vowing I would never drive anything but a General Motors car, preferably a Chevy. I can't remember the last time I drove a General Motors car. My last many cars have been Nissan products. And you were probably as shocked as I was when you heard the headlines, General Motors, the world's largest car company for decades, almost all my life, may go bankrupt. And these guys flew to, you know the story, they flew to Washington, and then later they came back on bicycles or something, what they should have been on, and... uh, They pleaded for money to bail them out. How does this happen? The world's largest car company is about to go out of business. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, A brand-new building a few years ago went up on the corner of Walnut and Lake. IndyMac, beautiful building. I really like the architecture. Great building, that round front end on there. IndyMac Bank, what happened? Gone bankrupt, as are other banks. Circuit City, where are they today? Can't find them. Every time you turn on the news, you hear about some other company laying off thousands of workers. 
repression, recession, depression, what do you want to call it? These are scary times, are they not? And you realize that you probably know someone who's been laid off work or is about to be laid off or is worried about being laid off or trying to find a job. In fact, I think I heard correctly that there has never in the history of our country been more people, have we had more people on unemployment, not only out of work, but drawing unemployment. It's at record levels. It's enough to scare you to death. Now, last week I announced we're in a series that will lead us through Lent up to Easter called Looking Up in Down Times. And each Sunday we're going to look at a miracle, a miracle of Jesus. And one of the reasons I'm preaching from this is that I really do think we should be looking up in these days and seeing what does the Bible have to say to us. So I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind finding this outline, the roadmap of where we're going. And we'll talk a little bit about another miracle, but I'll come to that in just a moment. Last Sunday as we started out, and if you want to catch up, you can listen to these on the Internet. But last Sunday I said, let's wrestle a bit with the question, why miracles? And what are these miracle stories actually true? And I'm not going to go through this with the detail we did last week, but you remember last Sunday we asked the question, are the miracle stories true or are they simply legend? And we said, well, they can't be legend because writers like Luke and others explained that they were eyewitnesses. They actually saw what happened and what they reported, or they interviewed people who saw it. So they certainly weren't writing legends. They were trying to tell us, like a reporter, what happened. Secondly, we said, well, maybe they're fiction, but you re- realize, and this would take a little more explanation, but the, the fiction that we have today was not present in Jesus' day. They didn't write fiction novels or romance novels like you read today. There just wasn't any genre of literature like that. They're not fiction. And thirdly, we said, they're not rebuked. The truth of the matter is, you can't go back in history and find documents that say, this miracle never happened. Now, you can find people who say, I don't know who Jesus is, or I don't like Jesus, or I don't believe in Jesus. The controversy was around who Jesus was, not around what he did. Nobody could refute what he did. And so, are the miracles true? I think so, and that's how we're approaching the subject. Now, last week we talked about a miracle, and I asked you the question, who is the boss of you? We talked about the authority of Jesus in this story that we looked at in Matthew. And we would call that miracle, Jesus healed a a little boy. We would call it a healing miracle. He touched a body. Today we're going to look at a different miracle, and we're going to look in the Gospel of Mark. There are Bibles in front of you. If you brought your Bible, I I think it would be good to look at Mark chapter 4 with me. It's on page uh, 39, if you're in one of the Bibles in the church here. And we're going to look at this miracle, and this is a miracle not about healing, but about nature. It demonstrates Jesus' power over nature. Now, we believe, if you study the scriptures, that when God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 1, we believe in what is called the, uh, uh, that Jesus Christ was present, the omniscience, the omnipresence of Christ. Jesus was actually present at creation. Colossians chapter 1 says Jesus is the creator. So, if you believe that Jesus actually is eternal and the part of the Godhead, and was present at creation, then it's probably not going to be too difficult for you to understand that Jesus has power over wind and waves. If you don't believe that, uh, you've got a dilemma today. But we're going to look at a story that is called a storm story. It begins in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. Mark is action-packed. He shows Jesus very busy. I wouldn't want to call him a workaholic because I think that would be a negative. But Jesus is busy. 
In the old King James Version, the words immediately and straightway keep coming up. Or in these Bibles, it says, at once, Jesus did this. And then he went over there, and at once he did that. He was busy. And in this story, the disciples get on a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. And the story is actually told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we have three different versions of it. We're going to look at the Mark version today in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And I want to walk through the story with you because uh, I think it has value for us today. I enjoy studying the Bible. But the bottom line is I say, so what? What difference does it make in 2009? And I think it does make a difference. So let's begin with this story. And the first thing I want to say is when a storm comes to your life, and let me just stop here. Um, I want to ask you a question. I ask you to raise your hand. And it, it's a, I mean, you know the answer is obvious. Have you ever been in a storm? Are you having a storm? Or do you expect a storm in your life? Any, anybody here? Think a storm's coming or have you been? Yeah, we've all been there. And so the first comment in this story, it helps to remember storms happen. Storms happen. The scripture says in verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so much so that the boat was already being swamped. Now, when we look at why Mark is writing, Mark is writing this gospel story probably to Christians who are in a storm. They're being persecuted. Tertullian, an ancient, uh, we call him one of the ancient fathers, said this. He said, picture the church like a little ship on a great big ocean or sea, and the wind is blowing, the waves are blowing, and the ship is about to go under. The church in Mark's day that Mark is writing to felt like that. They were, they were pressed by persecution, and the waves of persecution and the waves of temptation to deny the faith were crashing in on them. They, they thought, why am I bothering to follow Jesus? This is just plain painful. And so the storms were happening in their lives, and Mark wants to share with them this storm story. It's important to remember storms happen. There is a a famous pastor in our country whose son is now sailing around the world. The son's name is Todd. When Todd was outfitting his boat to sail around the world, his dad said to him, Todd, how come you're taking those sails down and putting up new sails? And Todd said, Dad, you don't think you can... He was putting up heavier rigging and heavier sails, making the boat stronger. And he said, Dad, you don't think you can sail around the world and not encounter a storm, do you? Wise young man. Question to you, do you think you can live your life and never encounter storms? That's just called naivete. Storms happen. They will happen to you. If you haven't already encountered storms, if you're so young, then they will happen. There's a story told by a Quaker. Now, a little background. In Quaker meetings, they don't meet like this. They might be in circles or they'd be in a closer proximity. And uh, in a Quaker meeting, someone will stand up and share something, and then they'll be quiet, and there's silence, and people kind of reflect. Well, there was a Quaker, an old Quaker, who stood up, and he told about a young man. He gave the name of the young man, and he said he's lived a terrible life. He's been into all these bad things. He he just painted a very dismal picture of this young man who was far from God. And he said the young man decided to go sailing, and he invited a Quaker friend along. So they went sailing. And as the Quaker is standing there in church telling his story, he said that when they went out on the boat, a terrible storm came up, and the young man drowned. And he sat down. And, of course, the point was obvious. Live a wicked life and, you know, you're going to go to sea and drown. He sat there and he sat there and he was really quiet. 
And finally he got up and he said, now in the interest of truth and to be honest, I have to also tell you, the Quaker drowned. The Quaker drowned. Now, in the interest of truth, I have to tell you, storms happen to the good, the bad, and the ugly. They happen to all of us. Storms happen. And as you read this storm story, I think part of it is important just to let us know it's not unusual for even disciples to have storms. Now, in this outline, if you back up above the first point here, I said it helps to remember storms happen. Above that, I've said, um, can Jesus make any difference in our lives? And then I say, name your storm. And for just a moment, I want you to think about, and you're not going to tell me, but think about what, what are some storms that I have encountered in the past or am encountering right now or will encounter. Storms happen, storms like stress, relationships, money. Maybe there's a financial storm in your life. Maybe there's a work-related storm. Maybe your marriage is stormy. You heard about the guy that said, I've been married 50 years. 42 of them are pretty good. Uh, anyhow... I'll move along. You may have storms with relatives. You may have storms with a child who's ill or personal illness. There may be grief. There are all kinds of storms that come into our lives. It's good to identify those storms happen. That's my only point here. In fact, would you turn to your neighbor and just share with him or her and tell them storms happen? Would you? Thanks. Now, in the next section, in verse 38, uh, I want to read that to you. But first, it, under, it helps to understand that when storms come with the rain, they rain down doubts. They rain down doubts. Let me explain. In verse 38, the storm has happened in the boat. Um, well, let me start with verse 35. I actually want to cover all these verses. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them on the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. Now, the picture is we've just got one boat here. But on this storm story, there are other boats. There are the 12 disciples, and there may have been other people with them going across. If you had a boat, you wanted to be with Jesus, you know, you just get in your boat and go. So there are several boats. The great storm comes up, verse 37. Uh, it says in verse 38... But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care? Don't you care? Now, let's stop right there in the middle of the sentence. Understand, storms rain down doubts. The disciples assumed Jesus did not care that the boat was filling up and they were about to drown. Now, I want to make an important point here. Um, Are these people doing, let me put it in the phrase of a question, and you go back to verse 35 to answer it. Are these people, the disciples who are in the boat rowing, you know, I think they're, they're, they're sitting down there, and I don't know if they rowed or used sails, but they're, they're working away in there. Are they in God's will or out of God's will? Let me ask that question. Are they in God's will or out of God's will? Get it wrong and I'll... Uh, oh. are, they, are they in God's will or out of God's will? What do you think? They're in God's will. That's an important point, isn't it? Because when we have storms crashing in on us, sometimes we think, what did I do wrong? Why do I deserve this? Now, Jonah deserved a storm. He was going the wrong way. God said, go one way. Jonah went another. God had to hit him with a storm. Sometimes storms come because we're disobeying God. But that's not the case here. 
Jesus told them to get in the boat, and Jesus told them to sail across the ocean. So they're doing exactly what Jesus told them, and a storm happened, right? So don't go down the road all the time, oh, bad things happened to me, I must not be in God's will. That's just crazy talk. Study the Apostle Paul. He often did God's will and bad things happened. (laughs) I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. Now, when they do happen, we begin to doubt. The doubts rain down on us. And I want to remind you first that when we're in a storm and the doubts come, we think, well, Jesus, don't you care? What's the answer to that question? Did Jesus care or not? Well, of course he cared. What do we know about God? If I just had, if you can only have four letters to spell out a word about God, God is what? Love. God is always love. God is always good. God is always just. There are three four-letter words for you. They all describe God. God's loving. God's just. God's good. And when you're in a storm, you need to remember that. Now, I can just picture these guys, and let's suppose they're rowing. And they're working away. They're fighting the wind and the waves. And what are they doing? You know, they're looking over there at Jesus, and they're getting madder and madder and more scared. Why doesn't he get up? He's sleeping. You know, it's like the slacker at work. Why doesn't she start working? Why doesn't he help me? And they're paddling away, and they're helping, and it's so noisy, they can't hear each other, and they keep looking at Jesus. What's he going to just sit there and let us all drown? At least grab an oar. Do something. Don't just sleep. How irritating that must have been until they were scared for their lives. So God is good. God is love. That's what we know. Now, I'd like for you to take a deep breath. Just, I'm getting kind of wound up here. I need to relax. Let's take a deep breath. Calm down. I know the storm's raging, but sometimes it's good to calm down. And remember, God is love, good. God cares about us. In As you go through the Scripture, we could spend the rest of the day flipping through the Scripture, talking about the storms that came to the lives of saints, all kinds of storms. Think of Abraham and Sarah. They lived, what, 90-some years. They wanted a baby boy. They never got one until they were in the geriatric ward. I mean, think of that storm that came in their lives. Uh, Moses had the storm of his own anger, and he kept getting in trouble for his anger. Uh, On and on we could go through Scripture about storms that happened to people. Think of poor Joseph, a good guy, kept put in jail, had these bad things happening to him. So you come down to Jesus. Even Jesus was betrayed, and Paul had his storms. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 4, verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not broken or not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Storms come, but they're not going to ruin us. They're not going to overwhelm us. And so I want to encourage you this morning that when storms come, and they do come, don't get down on yourself. Everybody has storms. And don't think that God is mad at you. God's not mad at you. God loves you. God's there to help you through the storm or out of the storm or speak peace to you in the storm. You're God's child. Don't you realize that? God loves you. So they said to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? Well, of course he cares. So that, that let's move on. Uh, I, I want to encourage you, don't let doubt defeat you. Don't give in to doubt. Fight doubt. Realize God loves you. Now, the next uh, observation I have here is call someone who cares. Call someone who cares. Who did they call? (laughs) Well, it's obvious. No cell phones there. Um, They called Jesus. It says, 
Jesus was asleep in the stern. He was on the cushion. And they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And of course, Jesus cared. We have a song, Jesus Cares. I know he cares. It's an old gospel song. Uh, I want to put up the uh, seal of the President of the United States of America. And I hope you can see that. What's in the center? What bird is that? It's an eagle. Now, if you look, yeah, you can see that. If you can look at that closely, on one talon, the eagle is grasping arrows. On the other talon, the eagle is grasping an olive branch. At the time of World War II and before, the eagle's head was turned toward the arrows. What would arrows symbolize? War, power, authority. And the eagle used to look at the arrows. Harry Truman, when President Truman was president, he said, we're going to change that. And so he had the eagle's head turned towards the olive branch. Peace. Peace. When you call on Jesus, Jesus wants for you peace. He wants us to be filled with his peace. So the question, as you look at that symbol, my question to you is, where are you looking? Where are you looking for help? Are you looking at the waves? Are you looking at the wind? Are you looking at the water filling up the boat? Where are you looking? Are you looking at Jesus and saying he doesn't care? The question is, where are you looking? The writer of Hebrews says this, looking to who? Who's the author of our faith? Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author of our faith. So when you're in a storm, call on Jesus. Jesus can help you. We heard the story about William Stafford, the, the amazing story of his loss of daughters and then writing this song. Some of you know the name um, William Barclay. He wrote the Barclay Commentary Series, a Bible studies that we all use. He's dead now, but he's an Englishman. And writing about this story, William Barclay said, uh, told of the experience, he had a 21-year-old daughter who went out on a yachting expedition, and she and her husband both drowned at sea. And he and his wife went through that horrible experience of losing a child. And he said this, God did not stop the accident at the sea, but God did stop the storm in my own heart so that somehow my wife and I came through that terrible time still on our feet. Reminds you of what Paul says, doesn't it? I got knocked down, but I wasn't knocked out. I'm perplexed, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struggling here. I'm really struggling, but God knows my struggle, and I'm going to come through this thing. And I pray for you today that you find peace in the time of your storm, through Jesus and through others. Uh, we, we have a notice in the bulletin today about a couple who are members of our church, Johnson and Eckie. They are students at Fuller. They went to Canada to renew their visa in June, and it wasn't renewed. It looks like it won't be renewed. So they're stuck in that country. They don't have a penny. And the Cedar Grove Baptist Church and some other Baptists are helping them out. They've been living in church members' homes for eight months now. And now we're trying to raise money so they can go back to their home in Cameroon. When, when we get stuck in a storm, we have to look up to Jesus and call out to help, and we have to look to one another to call out for help and say, help me. Oftentimes in my life, when I've struggled, I'll call Joyce and say, you need to pray for me right now, or she'll call me, or be beginning of the day, or at some point we'll call and we'll try to pray for each other. And you and I need to do that as members of the body of Christ to help each other through the storms. So peace is possible, I believe, during a time of recession. Peace is possible in a storm. Let's look at one more point. 
Listen to what the storm stopper says to you. Listen. It says that they cried out. Uh, well, let me go through a couple scriptures. <laughs> this is the fun part. Um, I'm going to give you a psalm. And one of the reasons I encourage you to have these notes is you can take them home. You're not going to remember a lot of what I said. I know that. But you can take this home, and God might be saying something to you about a storm right now that you can jot this down. And one of the key passages is Psalm 107. Read the whole psalm. It's a series of stories about how God helps people. In Psalm 107, there's a story, and it says in the Scripture, there's a story of the uh, sea getting rough and people thinking they're going to drown. And it says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their troubles. God made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Same words there as in the storm story we're reading. God calmed the sea. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, it says, Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, peace, be still. Or a loose translation might almost be, shame on you, wind. Quit bothering these guys. Calm down, waves, you're scaring everybody. Now, it says that there was this horrendous wind in the video clip which showed it raining. The scripture doesn't actually say it was raining, so I don't know if it was raining or just wind. But nevertheless, if you've been in a big windstorm, you can't hear anything, can you? The wind is blowing, and the guy next to you, you could yell at him to do this or that, and it's all you could do to communicate with the person next to you. They certainly couldn't communicate with the other boats. Now, just think about that kind of roar and wind and loudness. And then Jesus somehow gets up, and he says, Quiet! Waves, calm down! And all of a sudden, the wind just ceases. Wow. That would be weird, freaky. What word would you use? Scare you to death? To realize this guy stood up in the boat and he addressed the wind and the waves and it stopped. It just stopped and got quiet. And I suspect nobody said anything for a while. I suspect there were a lot of cold chills. Not from the water, from what they witnessed. And then the story actually concludes by saying, these guys are afraid. Who in the world is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this? Uh, Paul was in a storm one time. He was on a boat, and Paul said, For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Don't be afraid. <laughs> And Paul is sharing this good news to others. And part of the point is, folks, you need to learn how to get God's peace in the time of storms and how God helps you. And then you can turn to somebody else that's scared to death and you put your arm around them and say, hey, I'm with you. God's with us. We're going to be okay in this storm. And we can help others just as Paul did in this time of storm. Um, at the end of your notes sheet, there's a prayer. I'm not going to read the prayer to you today. We actually edited it edit it some because uh, it's kind of creepy. It's by a, a woman in France years ago, and it's her prayer that she wrote. What, what's not said here is she knows she's going to be executed because she's a Christian. And when you read that prayer and realize her commitment to God and her peace, it's amazing. And that's what I want for you, my friends. I'm so glad you're here today. And, and I know God has a message for all of us. I want you to know I love you and God loves you. And he wants to be able to calm the storms in our lives. To have real power right now to go through those storms or he's going to solve the problem of the storm. He's going to speak peace to us. Now you say, Steve, how does that happen for you? Well, 
One way it happens for me is that uh, I speak to God, I pray. And when you pray, it's not necessary to say, God, I need this or I need that. Just tell God about the storm. Use any language you want. Just tell God your problem. Talk to Him. And sometimes I just speak to God. Here it is, Lord. Now, another way I work to have peace in my own heart is silence. Pretty hard for a Baptist preacher. So I've gotten some books from Catholics, monks, to learn how to shut up. Be quiet. Listen. Be quiet. And it's amazing, as I work on contemplation, I'm not trying to think, I'm not trying to listen, I'm trying not to think. I don't follow out any of my thoughts. I'll just focus on a word and I'll be quiet. Because the Bible actually says that it's in quietness and stillness that God changes us, that God's strength comes. When we're just quiet, God does something in us. And so I speak to God, but I'm also silent contemplative, quiet. And I just, by faith, you, you try this, you're going you're gonna to feel like a fool probably. Oh, well, this is a waste of 20 minutes or 10. But do it anyhow, because by faith, you're saying God's changing me. God's speaking peace into my soul. God's creating a place of peace inside of me that's going to flow out. It works. And then the third thing I like to do is sing. And uh, I recommend it, you know, Ted teaches us some of these short songs, and some of you don't like. You say, well, it's just three words. That's great. You can remember it. And you can sing it over and over. Some of you know hymns. You can sing those. But singing to the Lord is also a way to find peace in the time of storms. Now, I'm going to try not to create a storm, but to help us find peace. But one of the songs we've learned here in the past year is a song that says, thank you for uh, saving me, thank you for finding me, thank you for healing me. And you can kind of plug in any word you want. And I'm going to try to lead us in that, but those of you who can sing, join in loudly with me, and uh, I'll give you the words as we go through. We're going to sing this over several times because I want for you peace. God wants for you peace. Jesus came to give you peace, and we ought to be the most peace-filled person in the room these days as people go through the trials that are on our nation and on our world. So let's try this. Thank you for finding me. 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 Saving. Thank you for saving me. 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 Healing. Thank you for healing me. 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 Calming. Thank you for calming me. 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 Lord, Please say to our hurried, busy, frenetic lives, peace, 
peace, be still. Be still.